0: Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Good morning, church family. Um, In tough times, it's good to look back, you know? Um, my father had a touch of cancer over the last month and a half, had a couple spots of cancer removed, and then they removed uh, just smaller than a baseball size portion of flesh between his shoulder blades to do some biopsy, and it came back cancer free. So. <clears throat> I made it one sentence. <laughs> Um so praise god Um so going to Halifax yesterday it's okay, <laughs> Yeah Who? I'm not trying to play the heartstrings <laughs> Um driving with my dad, and um, i I knew what I got to speak on this morning, honoring and um it wasn't even my in my notes. Um, so oh, stories get embellished over the years, right? And you don't know if the fish was this big or if it was this big. And, and every time you talk to Grampy, the story gets a little, a little more colorful, you know what I'm saying? So I figured I'd get some clarity on some stories that I really wanted to start with this morning. So I'm asking my dad about our family and, and where we come from and if the stories that I heard are, are true. Uh, my great-grandfather, Weldon Cameron the guy had hands like baseball gloves, you know. You'd shake that hand, and he would grip your hand, but then he'd he'd reach by and he'd grab your arm. You know, that kind of handshake. And as a young man, you know, you're you're exercising, you want to be strong like your dad's strong, your grandfather's strong, and my great-grandfather had a grip to this day that I have never felt the likes of before. Uh, His father, my great-great-grandfather, had a lobster factory, they called it, a lobster pound, a warehouse where they harvested lobster, they canned lobster, they would cook the meat, put it in a can, and then they would solder the lid with the meat in the can. How is that for health and safety code today? And then they'd put it on the train and it'd be for sale on the shelves in Boston within 24 hours. This is up in Pugwash, Wallace area, Port Howe the men would row 30-foot dory boats, and then they would haul the lobster traps up by hand. And my great-grandfather tells the story about the gloves that were made for him, homemade, they'd go right up to his armpit. And he'd get them in the fall about this time of year as it was getting cold, and he'd use them through the winter. And the salt water would cure whatever that material was and cause it to shrink and cause it to shine so that by the time the warmer weather hit, the summer, uh, they would be shrunk right down off his arm and just a little glove, and the fingers wouldn't even move at that point. They'd just be like claws, like hooks. And you'd squeeze your hands in, and then you'd pull that rope by hand up. So that's great-great-grampy Cameron. My great-great-granddad, Frail, he used to row the boat with a group of men from Scotts Bay, in the valley, across Covaquid Bay to Porkerville. And they would ship build there all week. And then at the end of the week, whether Friday night, Saturday morning, whatever the weather or the tide looked like, they'd jump back in the boat and they'd row back across to get home to be with family. Well, When the Great Depression came, he had to go out west for work. And he sent word back. I don't even know how you would send word at that point, a telegram or a message or whatever, that Granny Frail, and I think there were two girls at that point, my great-grandmother being one of them, should come out west of the prairie to meet him. And he had a sod shanty built for them. They would cut the sod and they would layer it for walls, and then they would build a roof structure over the top, and that's where they spent the winter, through the Great Depression. Elsie's grandparents, we refer to them as Paca and Beppa, Uh, They grew up in Holland, and Paka, when he became of age, he hopped on a ship, came across the Atlantic Ocean to Halifax, and he started uh, farming. I think through the winter, they hauled wood out of uh, the forest using a team of horses. He would do that for long, long hours, heavy, hard work. I think it was the next summer, he went back to Holland. He married Beppa. I don't know how many years ago that is now. It's over 60 years now that they've been married. They came back and they started a dairy farm in Shubenacadie, Nova Scotia. Well, now the fourth generation is working on that dairy farm. And I put a link in the comments of the video to a documentary that Paca is featured in of immigrants who came to Pier 21 and started life in Canada and, and what it was like for them. We're going to get through this. We're going to get to the sermon. Um, Towards the end of the documentary, from a man that I love and admire, he says, we've had our share of struggles and problems, health, family, but through it all, God has been faithful He says it in Dutch language, and then he repeats it in English. God is faithful. There's something just radically powerful to the personal stories from years of experience, isn't there? I thought I got all my tears out in the worship time. I'm sorry. I tried to get them out then. Um, But there is a depth of value in these people, not just what they offer, not just their perspectives, not just their knowledge, not just their values, not just their faith. And we're quickly losing it. How do we honor those on the road before us? How do we remember them? How do we remember what they lived for, what they fought for, what they stood for? We're standing on the shoulders of people who've gone before us. Our country, our freedoms, our society, they're not perfect for sure. They have their issues. They have their problems. We have issues today. But many of the things that we enjoy here in Atlantic Canada today are partly due to the life of these generations that we're talking about. We stand on their shoulders. There is a moment in Israel's history that I want to dig into in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And it's this, this pivotal moment. Thank you very much, Dorothy. I appreciate that. There's this pivotal moment where the old generation, the previous generation, is pretty much gone. You've got Moses, you've got Joshua. You've got Caleb. Everybody else has died off in the wilderness. And then the next generation, Their focus forward. They're looking across the Jordan River from Moab to the promised land. It's finally here. Forty years we've been waiting for this, and it's finally here. The next generation is so excited about the future, but the past and how they got to where they were is, is quickly growing dim in the rearview mirror. And there's this critical point where if all the focus is shifted forward, we can so quickly lose and forget everything that's taken place in Israel's history to this point, because there's only three people of that generation left, and Moses is about to die. Deuteronomy is Moses' final sermons, final speeches to the people of Israel. And Skip Heitzig points out, it's kind of ironic that at the burning bush, Moses said, God, why are you choosing me? Why are you sending me? I can't speak. I'm not good with my speech. And then here we have, what's the book of Deuteronomy? 34 chapters of his closing speech, his closing remarks at 120 years of age. He starts off, he's talking about what God did for Israel in the past. And then the middle section of the book is is what God is calling his people to do and to remember in the present. And then the closing of the book is prophetically looking forward and saying, here's what God is going to do in the future, in the coming generations. Because if you don't remember where you've been, how can you know where you're going? Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 1. And now, O Israel... Listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you. Do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Do you remember Steve talking last week, kicking off this whole Remember series, and he was talking about how how crazy it would be if we had to learn everything firsthand, if we had to learn everything from experience. But we don't have to do that. We can learn from the experience of others. We can educate ourselves and understand from others. We don't have to learn the hard way. Moses is saying, listen to the statutes and the rules that God is giving me that I'm passing on to you, and then do them. Steve said, we don't just remember for the sake of remembering, we remember to. It's, it's a call to action. It's like when my wife says, did you, rep- did you remember milk? Yeah, I remembered milk. Well, then where's the milk? Oh, I didn't pick it up. Well, then you didn't remember the milk. Well, I thought of it when I was in the store, but no, you need to remember two. You need to do something with that memory. Moses calls the young Israelites to remember two particular events that I want to talk about. Deuteronomy chapter four and verse three. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who were followed, the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord, your God, are all alive today, alive to tell the story. So what happened at Baal Peor? Long story short, Israel's enemies wanted to pronounce a punishment, a judgment on Israel. They wanted to curse Israel, but they could not. So plan B. They sent the prostitutes of Baal into the camp of the Israelites to try and seduce the men. So you've got adultery, you've got idolatry as they begin to worship the Baals because they followed these women. 24,000 people died because God punished that sin. Now, why would you want to remember such a dark point in Israel's history? Why wouldn't you want to wipe that one from the history books, make it a little more clean and neat? Well, because it shows God's power. It shows God's justice and righteousness, how he must punish sin but it also shows God's mercy and compassion and love to the vast majority of the people who he didn't punish with that sin. And Moses says, you need to remember this. This is what happens when you choose pleasure in the moment instead of faithfulness to your family, to your God. Deuteronomy chapter four and verse nine. Only take care, keep your soul diligent, Do not forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. Your children's children. Do you see the generational aspect of this? It's word of mouth. It's generational narrative. It's oral tradition. It's the old stories on the lap of the grandparent that get passed down and passed down. What do we want the next generation to hear? What do we need to hear from the previous generation? My family ahead of me have seen things that I will never see. They've experienced things that I will never experience. They've heard things that I will never hear. My faith, my worldview, my perspectives, my values, they're all shaped, in part, a large part, I'd say, to my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, and on up the line imagine the value of your grandparent telling you a story like the one that happened at Baal Peor I lost friends that day I lost family that day I lost my dad that day you be so careful to have your heart pure and loyal to your God to your family that you wouldn't step out and do what this story is telling you not to do remain faithful Because you're about to settle into a new land with foreign gods, foreign customs, foreign languages, religions, practices. Guard your heart. I've seen what happens if you don't. And then the second story Moses calls them to remember. Chapter 4 and verse 10. How on that day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the mountain of God, the Lord said to me, "'Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, "'so that they may learn to fear me all the days that I live on the earth, "'all the days that they live on the earth, "'and that they may teach their children so. "'And you came near, you stood at the foot of the mountain, "'while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, "'wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. "'Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. "'You heard the sound of the words, but you saw no form. "'There was only a voice.' And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. Familiar story? Moses receives the Ten Commandments. He downloads them to the tablets from the cloud. And then he comes down the mountain. Uh, This is the same mountain, the same story. Imagine hearing an eyewitness tell that story. It's one thing to read it in the Bible. It's one thing to learn history in class from a textbook as your teacher shows you what chapter to read next and quizzes you on it. It's another thing to hear what happened in the past from the people who were actually there. Just imagine this story. Imagine talking to your grandparent, your great-grandparent. I remember that day. I remember standing at the foot of the mountain, I didn't have a good view. I was behind these boulders. We were surrounded by all this crowd in Israel. We're trying to see Joshua, and we're trying to see Moses as they step up onto the foot of the mountain. We're trying to hear what Moses has to say we can't hear over the crowd, and then all of a sudden the earth starts to crack and crackle and shake, and those boulders in front of me started to break down, and, and All of a sudden, our our curiosity and our wonder of what was going to happen turned to fear. And people started turning and running back to their tents. It was like the mountain was just consumed with fire. And this, this cloud of smoke wrapped all the way up to the heart of heaven. And there was almost this gloom that set in as we couldn't see one from another. And as people ran, I turned to start running. And then all of a sudden, I heard a sound like I will never forget, like has never been heard before, a sound that shook the earth to its core, and it was the voice of God speaking out of the cloud, out of the gloom. It was like a ray of sunlight just burned through the heart of that smoke, and we stopped dead in our tracks. We couldn't see a face, but we could hear the voice of God, and I will never forget it as long as I live. Imagine hearing that firsthand Hearing from an eyewitness, somebody who was there, who heard the voice of God. Skip Heitzig from Calvary Church, he says, There comes a time when the new generation needs to hear from the previous generation what God did. To instill the anticipation that maybe God will do in our generation what he did for the previous generation. Because God's faithful to his word. God keeps his promises. God speaks truth. I remember sitting in a meeting and concern was brought up at how far financially we were in the hole. Not uh, this church, not, not with this board. And somebody, an older gentleman stood up and he said, you know what? It's just this much money. And I've seen this Before and I've been through this many times, and I've seen God come through time and time again, and if he cares for the sparrow, and if he has the hairs of our head numbered, what is this number to God? I can can still picture him stand up in the meeting and say that. I've seen God do it before. I know he can do it again. You know, I believe this is the time And this is a season where we need to hear from the previous generation. We need to seek out their wisdom, their counsel, their experience. Those those who lived through the depression in a sod shanty in the winter on the prairies. There, There are people alive today who fought in wars, who immigrated across the ocean, there are elderly among us who, for them, this is not their first pandemic that they've lived through. People who can testify to God's faithfulness even in tough times. We're, we're living through a new chapter in history. We're, we're living history as we speak. I don't know how it's going to be written. I don't know how it's going to be taught. I don't know how it's going to be framed, from what perspective. But in the history books, there is going to be a chapter towards the end. I'm sure there will be more chapters as time goes on. That's going to talk about 2020. And it's going to talk about the pandemic. It's going to talk about politics. It's going to talk about the polarization and the tension that we felt in society. It's going to talk about the economy. This is a critical moment, and we're losing the voice of the previous generation. We're losing the voice of the elderly, those who've gone before. We don't value the elderly like we should. Certainly not like Eastern cultures where the elders of the family were held in high esteem and honored and many times worshiped. You'd build shrines to them and light candles and pray to your family ancestors. In Jesus' day, in that culture, it was intergenerational family units living together. And when little Johnny married his new bride, Susan, they would build a new section onto the home and they'd all move in together. I'm not suggesting we should do that, but that was the culture. And the generations would mix and mingle and spend time together and hearing stories from grandpa and grandma, mom and dad, uncle Doug and aunt Susan, you would, that, that would happen all the time. And we're losing that. More and more as a society, we're losing the value of those who've gone before. Old people, what value do they have? Is the thought. What do they know that I don't? What can I learn from somebody who lived 50 years ago? Somebody who wears their pants up to their armpits or who has the same comb over and the glasses they've had from the 70s. Somebody who thinks that Kardashian is a type of Cadillac. How am I supposed to learn from the elderly? What do they have to teach me? What benefit do these people have to society? They're vulnerable. They're weak. They're taxing on our medical system. They're dangerous on the roads. They have no idea how to use technology. Do you find that line of thinking offensive? Yeah. I really believe that's how much of our society views the elderly today. And I think you do too. I, I think you think our society thinks that way. I don't think you think about... <laughs> Yeah, I need to make that clear. Why, why would you ask Grampy about the depression when you can watch the YouTube tutorial? I don't need to ask Granny to show me her crochet technique. I can just find it on Pinterest. I don't need Aunt Margie's famous baked bread recipe because Aunt Margie didn't have refined, healthy ingredients we have today, not to mention a nutritionist, health coach. She didn't know what she was doing. I don't have to ask Uncle Doug to help with the car, do I? Do you know how many stories that guy's going to tell? And I've already heard all of them. I'm just going to take it to the mechanic, pay a little bit extra. It'll be more convenient, quicker, and the car will be back on the road. I won't have to sit through those stories. You ever hear that line of thinking? You ever think that line of thinking? It'll just be quicker and more convenient if I don't. We've even tricked ourselves into thinking that the previous generation was just naive. They didn't know. They were uninformed. They didn't have the internet. How could they know? How did they get their news back then? They had no idea. Ignorant. And therefore, they messed up society. And now it's our job to fix all of those mistakes because we're enlightened. We're connected. We're informed. We're aware. I hope you see my sarcasm in this. Uh, Here's the scary thing. Generations in such an enlightened, sophisticated, technologically connected era are more and more losing their connection. I'm talking all the generations. We are pulling apart. We're becoming more and more isolated, polarized from one another. Uh, Steve shared a brand new report from Barna, who does incredible Christian research. They connected with World Vision to work on this one. And it's in regards to the connected generation, which is my generation, 18-year-old's to 35-year-olds. You have millennials that I'm a part of, and then you have Gen Z, which is the following generation. These are the digital natives. We've grown up in an era era of technological innovation, social media. So Barna polled 16,000 young adults between 18 and 35, which boggles my mind, many of which were in Canada. Here's what they found. I'll just give you a few few bullet points. Almost half of these 16,000 between 18 to 35 struggle with loneliness on a weekly basis. Of that half, 40 some percent, a third of those say it's unbearable. Unbearable loneliness consistently on a weekly basis. Which is kind of ironic in such a technologically connected era, right? When we can pick up our phone and we can say, hey, how are you doing? Or we can pick up our phone and we can say, hey, how are you doing? Or we can pick up your phone and say, hey, how are you doing? But yet we're more isolated and lonely than ever before. 70% between 18 and 35 have left the church. 70. 70. Just let that sink in. Sink in. 81% identify leadership as a huge issue in our country, in our society, in our communities. Why? Why are there not older mentors and leaders and disciples who have taken on these 18 to 35-year-olds? Why have these 18 to 35-year-olds not been able to find somebody to mentor them, to disciple them, to lead them? Steve pointed out this on the report, and I think it's so true. Uh, People of this generation feel more connected to others of the same generation globally than the previous generation locally. People of this demographic, this generation, 18 to 35, feel more connected to other 18 to 35-year-olds around the world than they do to the people who live in their own community who are the next generation above them. Let me try and explain this. I feel more connected to other 18 to 35-year-olds who may live in a different country that I've never met before in my life other than online than I do to a guy who I see at Tim Hortons occasionally who might be older than me. I feel more connected and more influenced and more in tune with somebody my age who may live hours and hours away online than I do to a grandparent who lives five minutes down the road. Get this one. This one's really interesting. 18 to 35-year-olds are dressing quite similar to 18 to 35-year-olds around the world. Have you noticed this? So no matter where, it could be Canada, the States, Europe, this age group tends to dress and look similar. They cut their hair similarly. They wear similar clothes. Maybe they listen to similar music even to the point of which they look different from the previous generation in their own community. So we look less like our parents. We dress less like our parents. We talk and listen to music less like our parents and more like 18 to 35-year-olds around the world. We are losing the generational connection, the oral tradition, the values passed down from generation to generation. We are losing it. It only took one generation for murder to enter the story and a son to be separated from his parents. It only took one generation for a Pharaoh to rise up who forgot Joseph and what he accomplished in Egypt. It only took one generation to forget God. Look at Judges chapter 2. Joshua has died. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. They forgot. Old generation gone, new generation come, they forget God. They forget those values. They forget that oral tradition that's been passed down. We're going to talk more about forgetting next week, so I don't want to get too deep into that right now. One of the commandments that Moses received that day on the mountain was this. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 16. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord God commanded you. See how it's not really contingent on your father and mother and what type of parental figure you have? It's contingent on the commandment of the Lord. That your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. There's there's a covenantal application here of the land that Israel was to receive. You need to honor your father and mother so that you can fully embrace and enjoy and experience this promised land that I have brought you to these 40 years through the wilderness. It doesn't necessarily mean that you if you obey your mom and dad, well, then you're gonna live a long and healthy and happy life full of riches and pleasure. But if you do think about it, if you did listen to your mom and dad instead of saying "Ah, they don't know what they're talking about and learn the hard way like prodigal son stuff, you probably would live a happier and healthier life if most of us just listened to the advice of our parents instead of trying to pave our own path. God is referencing this critical point where the next generation is taking possession and the previous generation is gone. Remember, remember. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul picks up the same thing. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that you would live long in the land. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. There it is. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How do we honor them? We need to listen, we need to learn, we need to remember, and remember to put it into practice. These lessons were not free or easy for the generation that came before us. They have immense value. You want to really experience the promised land? Then take to heart the story of Baal Peor. Be faithful to your family, be faithful to your God. No adultery, no idolatry. God's justice, his righteousness. Remember Mount Horeb when God spoke and gave the Ten Commandments. Remember how near God was. We heard his voice. And he passed these things on to us to pass on to our children. He told us to do so to the next generation and the next. We're losing an understanding of what life was like not too long ago. How arrogant, how prideful is it to think that we're somehow above previous generations. Enlightened, owed, entitled. Even if that generation was before Google or Wikipedia or Facebook or TikTok, my great-great-grandparents, horse and buggy, cross-country, rowing a 30-foot dory, pulling traps, logging in the deep snow in winter, risking their life to provide for their family out of necessity. I'm not going to work for $15 an hour? Are you kidding me? We're losing an understanding of what life was like not too long ago, and we're becoming so quickly entitled and privileged. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 7. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you. Your elders, and they will tell you. Let me tell you, it is so encouraging to me in 18, 19, 20 months of uncertainty and what is the world going to look like for me, for my children, for my parents to sit and talk with somebody who's ahead of you in the game and to have them say, this isn't the first struggle where we've wondered how is God going to make this happen. We've seen God faithful time and time and time again. Moses, in Exodus chapter 12, he talks about the Passover. And he says the Passover is a memory aid. It's something to help you remember what God did. And he says, basically, let me give you an example. Someday down the road, there are going to be children who say, basically in so many words, why do we have to do this weird meal? Why do we have to have this tradition? Can't we just order out, get some Thai food brought in? Do we really have to have this lamb and these bitter herbs and this salt water? Like, what is this all about? And you will be able to say, let me tell you, because of our sin and disobedience, we were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. And when we cried out in our slaving oppression, God heard us. And he sent the 10 plagues. The last of which was the death angel, but he sent provision for the death angel. And this is the lamb that you have before you. Take a spotted lamb, kill it, put its blood on the doorposts and the lintel. And when that death angel comes by, it will pass over your house because of the blood of the lamb. And let me tell you, this is a picture of Jesus who is to come, the Messiah, the chosen one. The spotless lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He wouldn't just cover the sins. He would cleanse the sin with his blood and wash it white as snow. That's why we do this weird meal. That's why we do this tradition. To help us remember what God did. What he's doing for us now. And what God will do someday in the future. It's to help us remember to remember Moses wrote these things down. We have the Pentateuch today, the first five books of the Bible, the law. God wrote it down. He wrote it on those two tablets of stone. The scribes, they they recorded it. And they continued to keep that and preserve it and to make copies. And the Bible talks about how meticulous they were with it. And every time they got to the name of God, they would stop and they would do a ceremonial cleansing before writing that name and continuing on in copying the Scriptures. We have it written down so that we can remember. But the onus isn't on having access to those documents. It's on telling your kids telling them the story and then telling their kids and telling the next generation and passing on what God did, what God is doing and what God will do, passing on that story, story to the next generations. That's how we honor them. We need to remember, we need to consider, we need to ask, we need to listen to those who've gone before us. We need to remember, we need to consider, we need to ask we need to listen. We need to remember. And we need to remember to do. I just want to close by talking about Jesus for a moment. If you could just bow your head and close your eyes with me. Jesus. He walked the road before us. Hebrews chapter 4 says that He was tempted at all points as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, we have a great high priest who's able to sympathize with us in our weakness, in our infirmities. Jesus knows what it's like. He's walked the road before us. There's nothing we're going to be tempted with. There's nothing we're going to be living through that, that he doesn't know that he hasn't experienced yet without sin. Jesus, we praise you for your perfect life. And then you call us daily to pick up our cross and to follow you to walk after you. Jesus, help us to do so. Help us to follow your example. Jesus, we not only honor you, we not only remember you, we not only think about the things that you've done, we not only think about the salvation, the redemption, the freedom, the forgiveness, the new life that you have secured for us. We want to say thank you for all of those things, but more than that, we want to praise your holy name. We want to worship you. We want to hold you on high as the object of our attention and our affection and our worship. As we look back at previous generations and we honor those who have gone before us and we say thank you for the parents that we did have, for the grandparents who provided, for the the lineage that we have, we thank you. More so, we thank you for the spiritual lineage we have as children of Abraham, that you invite us to be part of your family that we, most and many of us as Gentile nations, that, that you have extended these gifts and these privileges and these promises to us and invited us into your family. Jesus, we pray that you'd help us to walk that road that you led, follow your example. God, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for that Passover lamb who was slain in our place. God, we think of of the sins of many generations and where we're at in society and so many things we can look back on and think, why? Why did these things happen? And God, we we know that that lineage of sin carries on through the seed of Adam, that each one of us is sinful naturally. as, As we're born, we have a sin nature and we act out upon that. We don't need to be trained. It's inherent within us because of our father Adam. But the Bible says that as through one man, Sin entered the world so through one man, Jesus Christ. Redemption and forgiveness and salvation. Jesus, we thank you for your gift today. If there are any here who have not received that gift, Jesus, I pray that you would, your Holy Spirit would be pricking at their heart and be showing them that this is the most important thing that's been passed down from generation to generation. The good news that Jesus died a once-for-all death to pay for our sin. That through faith in Jesus Christ, we can have forgiveness of our sin. We can have new life. We can have a home in heaven as a child of God. Thank you for your salvation today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.